Congressman Tim Ryan has arrived. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for coming. Um, I'm going to do. I'm going to do the intro to the show. Real quick. Oh, okay. Do you have an external? Okay. Everything good technically? Cool. Great. Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable, an ongoing conversation on poverty, basic income, and electoral politics. I am Shale. I am the producer of the show, and I am joined by twelve basic income advocates, one of whom is the United States Congressman Tim Ryan. Thank you so much Thank for being you. on this program. It is an honor. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, man. Um, well, uh, let's, let's each introduce ourselves and then we can get right to an open discussion on how we can be a more effective coalition and more effectively work together to get this done and pass a basic income for the United States and end poverty. Um, so beginning with you, Angela Mendoza, please introduce yourself. My name is Angela Mendoza. I'm a small business owner and UBI advocate. You can find me on Twitter at Hellion Hellfire. Thank you. Um, Faye D. Hello, my name's Faye. Uh, my Twitter is Tisdony, T-I-S-D-O-N-E-Y. I've been trying to uh, spread the word of UBI in the strangest capacities that I possibly know how. <laughs> Thank you, Faye. Uh, Hannah Wan. Hi, uh, I'm a citizen advocate for universal basic income and Asian American representation. Uh, I'm also a senior staff for David Kim for Congress in uh, District 34 in California. And actually, David Kim will be joining us in a little bit here. So it's good to meet you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you, Hannah. And we're looking forward to that. Um, Scott Santons. Yeah, uh, and I'm Scott Santons, and I've been a full-time basic income advocate uh, since 2013. I've been living with my own crowdfunded basic income uh, every month since January of 2016. And uh, right now I'm also the senior policy advisor for Mike Breuer. Uh, he's running for Senate in Kentucky against Mitch McConnell. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Moto. Hi, uh, I'm a business and medical writer. I also uh, kind of, uh, I'm a longtime friend of Shales and uh, I, I think UBI is a pretty good idea. So. Thank you, Mudo. Uh, Faye Koo, if you... Hi. And, and son, hello. I wanted to introduce you to my son, <laughs> Zafir Koo. I'm a uh, single mom, um, homeschooling with my son, and also a private tutor in East Texas. I live in Palestine, Texas, a small town. And so my, my area is mostly uh, Republican, and uh, I'm in Lance Gooden's district. Thank so. you, Faye. Thank you. Um, Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. Um, I live uh, in St. Louis and work as a machinist and a longtime UBI advocate. And he's also our assistant producer. Thank you for setting this up, Jeremy. Um, you do fantastic work. And another old friend of mine, Ben. Hello. Hey, I'm Ben, um, and I <laughs> live in Brooklyn. I'm the community outreach lead for In the Fight North Brooklyn, uh, which you can find us at www.inthefight.com. Dot org. Uh, we're mostly a bunch of Ohio transplants in Brooklyn, and we uh, grew out of the war and campaign volunteers. So, Awesome. Thank you, Ben. And Daniel Larson, thank you for joining us. Yeah, so I'm Daniel Larson. I'm running for U.S. Senate in the state of Montana. I'm running on a UBI platform. Uh, also, uh, I'm running as a Republican, standing out against what we're doing with Trumpism as well. So um, trying to lead a, a independent movement of, of, of public servant legislators. Um, so thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. Very well said. And, and uh, I just love your term of nonpartisan rather than bipartisan. It just really means, it really resonates with me. Um, uh, Ariel, hello. Hello. My name is Ariel Bakshende. I live here in Los Angeles, uh, California. I am the son of uh, Persian Jewish immigrants. I am also a uh, Toastmaster International High Achiever. Uh, wow. Uh, public speaking, it's like my forte. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel called uh, Revolutionary Thinking, where I discuss like education policy, politics, and just philosophy, because I just like talking about that stuff. Thank you, Ariel. Awesome. Uh, and uh, finally, we have Sheridan. Hello, I'm Sheridan. I'm a small business manager, a UBI advocate from New Mexico, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, Shay. 
Well, thank you for coming, Sheridan. Um, Tim Ryan, I would like to invite you to introduce yourself now, and then uh, speakers we will open the floor for an open discussion on basic income, how we can do yeah, it. Yeah, hey, I appreciate it. Appreciate all of you. And uh, one of the great blessings that came out of the presidential campaign was uh, getting to know uh, Andrew. And, and really, as I have said uh, many times, I think he articulated the economic challenges that we face uh, more clearly and uh, with more depth than just about every other candidate. And so I just want to thank all of you for supporting him. And uh, I come from a district in Northeast Ohio. Uh, I represent the city of Youngstown, which is almost on the Pennsylvania border, uh, about halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And I go west to Akron. So it's very much uh, working class uh, you know, used to be steel and, and rubber and, uh, now it's not. Uh, so some of those big, deep economic shifts that, that Andrew talked about and I talked about during the campaign are very, very real. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, so then came the, the coronavirus. So anyway, working class, very much working class, uh, district, but also multicultural in a lot of ways. The city of Youngstown is about 50%, uh, communities of color. Uh, Akron's about 35% community of color, communities of color. So it's, it's diverse um, and it's old school manufacturing, but a lot of like technology emerging around additive manufacturing, 3D printing, business to business software. Um, so we're trying to grow these, the new industries that are going to provide the jobs of the future. So um really looking at government in a really innovative way. So how do we innovate uh, around some of these uh, key technologies? How do we innovate around new data, new science, uh, around how the brain works, around our food system? Uh, I wrote a book about food called The Real Food Revolution. I wrote a book about mindfulness meditation uh, that we just re-released called Healing America. So really trying to find some new ways to innovate uh, old institutions to, in order to transform them. And then, you know, after the Corona, when the coronavirus started to hit and we knew, excuse me, the economic impact was going to be huge. Congressman Ro Khanna and I started pushing this $2,000 a month, uh, emergency cash assistance plan, uh, for six months or until the unemployment rate got back down to pre coronavirus levels. Um, and so we really appreciate all of your support and Andrew's support, Humanity First support, uh, pushing this, and it's getting more and more momentum. I just saw a poll today, 80% of the American people uh, believe that um, this cash assistance uh, payment on a monthly basis uh, is needed. And so, you know, I invited Andrew to come talk to Congress, and, and, and look, I'm not all the way there on the UBI issue. I'm pushing the cash assistant payment hard. But what I think is happening now and what I think we all need to do, those of us who are, who are really you know, thoughtful people about this, and I know Andrew's supporters are, we have tectonic shifts happening in the economy. And, and the coronavirus has exposed a lot of things that have been happening now for decades. Uh, you know, the income inequality, digital divide, the food system, your workers, farm workers, I mean, on and on and on, you, you know, the, the issue around low wage workers or that, that are now on the front lines working at grocery stores, making 13 bucks an hour, shitty pay, shitty benefits, no pension. Um, so this conversation has got to be a really big one and it's got to be a really thoughtful one. And we've got to be open to things like UBI, we've got to be open to, to all of these new ideas that I kind of mentioned. And I'm thrilled to be here with you to, to continue to have this conversation. And I look forward to you know, partnering with Andrew as we move forward and guys like Ro Khanna and others who are really thinking about this thing in a, in a comprehensive way, which is the only real way to, to try to make an impact. So anyway, uh, that's, that's the nutshell version and happy to have the conversation and excited to have the conversation. Great. Well, we're happy to have you. Yeah, we're happy to have you. We're all excited too. So without further delay, who would like to begin the discussion? <laughs> so um, I actually wanted to respond to something that Scott had brought up. 
earlier, which is that um, there are a lot of uh, sort of down ballot candidates that um, and positions that we could be getting into and learning about. So for me, I'm trying to run for the um, national delegate position from my Texas Senate district. And uh, that way I can go to the three-day national convention. But we don't know what format it's going to take this year. So I was told it was normally going to cost quite a lot of money to go, like getting plane tickets and hotel rooms and paying for all your entry fees to all kinds of events um, is an expensive proposition, which most people would not. (laughs) Most people living in poverty like me would not think of to try to um, try to attend. Um, But this year, because it might be a virtual convention, I have no qualms about, you know, putting myself into that position and um, also hoping, you know, I already have like three substantial um, offers of uh, assistance if I do have to pay for a real convention. So um, I just want to more people to get into the party. And would you say there are like precinct chairs or what what do you think would be the most, um, you know, valuable things that people should be looking at trying to you know, get into their parties and learning how to do. Uh, for yeah. Scott. Uh, well, I mean, what you're doing is absolutely one of them. And I, I'm an old, uh, you know, uh, grassroots kind of guy. Um, that's how I started. I, I didn't have any money when I ran for Congress. I beat two in- incumbents, uh, and, you know, one in a Democratic primary, one in a general election. The guy was running as an independent. And we did it through just sheer grassroots campaigning, um, you know, T-shirts and uh, friend-to-friend cards where, you know, people are literally getting out their Christmas card list and and sending personal notes to people uh, and coordinating that. We'd stand on street corners holding signs. So I really believe in the idea of the precinct captains um, and getting coalitions on the ground as precinct captains so you can influence the county party, uh, which means you can influence who's your state rep, who's on the school board. And really, we need a renewed civic commitment in this country in a very, very big way. And, and I think there's the institutions are there, and our job is to transform the institutions. I mean, you want to talk about what's uh, essentially uh, a deep American value. It's how do you take uh, institutions and and you transform them. You innovate within them, uh, and that means you got to get on the inside and you got to put up with all the political bullshit that you have to put up with in order to make. Excuse me, your kid's right there, and I'm swearing. <laughs> My kid's used to it. Your kid may not be. Okay, good. No, he can't hear. <laughs> he doesn't hear that well. Yeah, he's, he's fine. Um, so anyway, uh, grassroots it. No doubt about it. Get involved in these institutions. I mean, I'll just say this lastly. I mean, you think about how um, how few people you really need to influence like a, a race for school board, like literally in a town, a decent sized town, normal town. Not I'm not talking about like huge cities, but 15 just hardcore kick ass volunteers strategically that come strategically from different churches and different parts of town and that kind of thing you can make a, you can get somebody elected to school board. You can get a state representative elected and, and it's, it can happen with very little money. And, and so uh, kudos to you. And yes, it just precinct committees, think in precincts. That's beautiful. I love that. Well, that's great. Um, what I've been learning is that uh, because of being able to do this campaigning, even if I don't win, uh, I, ha- I got a list of the people that I'm supposed to campaign to, and they're all state delegates already. And this year we mm-hmm. get extras because they uh, Texas said everybody's going to be a delegate who said they wanted to. So every, mm-hmm. so I had like a list of 220 Biden supporters because I'm campaigning for it to those people. And mm-hmm. I'm getting to have conversations with them directly. I have a reason to talk <clears throat> to them. Uh, that's uh, growing like I think pol- politics is all about just making those connections and hearing what other people have to say. Yeah, totally, totally. And then building the coalition, you know, then building the coalition needed to, to move forward. You know, everybody thinks we got to, you know, there's some magic wand somewhere. Um, but when you just look at the history of movements in the United States, it's brick by brick by brick by brick. It's, it's building the coalitions like the ones we're talking about, you know, where Eric Sanchez, who was my uh, press secretary on my campaign, when I got out, he went to Andrew. Now, how do we build this relationship out? And we certainly don't have to agree on everything, 
Um, but we we are we want to end up in the same spot, uh, and that's with lifting up Americans and and how we you know work together to get there. I think is really important. And and here's the here's the last piece I'm gonna say with this question: the people at the top don't want us getting together, right? They want us to be Yang Gangs over here and Tim Ryan's with the unions over there and, uh, you know, Mayor Pete's over here and, you know, we just divide, divide. That's what they want. So if we come together and we can figure out how to get all these cashiers at Mark's and all these and all these stores that I talked about earlier who are that they feel they're part of this bigger uh, coalition that's happening here tied into the unions, maybe the, the cutting edge unions that are really looking at skills and developing, you know, uh, a talent and middle-class jobs. And we need to be on the same team. And, uh, and I think we can do that. And I think that's what Andrew and I are definitely trying to do. Well, that brings me to an interesting question and something that we're actually working on right now that you may be interested in. Um, we are actually, uh, already formed a coalition of speakers of Democrats, Republicans, independents from across the board, uh, different economic status, different races, all coming together uh, to actually attempt to testify before Congress to depoliticize this issue of UBI because it is popular across the board. You know, it's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It is a people issue. In fact, uh, two of the people on the call here are actually uh, speakers in this group that we're working on, uh, Faye Koo and Scott Santons. So that's a project we've been working on for a few months now. I would, tell, I would love to hear Scott's opinion or, or perspective from uh, like uh, what people sh- should at least consider bringing uh, to that conversation. Uh, but maybe uh, hearing how uh, from Tim Ryan, how it might be better perceived like from like the two I would love to see that dynamic if you guys could entertain that idea. Uh, that that's a great. Good, I don't I don't see Scott on my screen here, but he can, he's more than <laughs> welcome to go ahead. Is he here? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, go ahead. Um, I mean, it, I actually, I kind of want to answer that with another question. Um, huh. but um, I mean, it's right. it, I've always said that basic income is not left or right; it's forward. And, you know, it's, it's very true. And I've wanted to make sure that it remains, you know, nonpartisan. And here we are at this time when it just seems so blaringly obvious that people need money. And especially when we're looking at a possible, you know, second Great Depression potentially with deflationary spiral. And we want to make sure people are actually spending money and, customers are are needed for businesses so it's like my question is what what is the barrier why is it that there's not more republicans that are at least talking about like how small businesses need customers let's make sure that they have customers where i mean money this is a a very um it's a conservative principle to make sure that people have money to spend so what what's the deal like where why is it that there's that basically Mitt Romney is is kind of the lone kind of uh, conservative member of Congress who's actually open to these like actual you know recurring payments essentially? Yeah, I, this is uh, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> you got as much time as you want, us, Congressman. Look, this has been a very, very long-term, sophisticated, strategic, well-financed plan uh, to shape the conversation in the country. started in the 60s, but took hold in 1980 around the idea of supply-side economics, um, where George Herbert Walker Bush called it voodoo economics uh, in 1980 when he was running against Reagan in the primary. And that conversation has evolved into, you know, the backdrop, the general conversation in America being that uh, the government's bad, government can't do anything good at all. Um, So that was one component of it. And then the other component was straight, you know, cut taxes for the rich and hope it trickles down, which is in, in complete conflict with, I think, sober economics, which I believe 
and I said this the other day on Fox Business, I said, look, these guys are supply side, I'm demand side. Like you got to have money in the pocket of people if you're going to have a strong economy. And exactly what you just said, Scott, I mean, it, it, and that's what I said, and that's what I continue to say. And until we get a system in place that actually uh, respects that and delivers on that, you know, we're going to continue to have income inequality, digital divide. Nobody around where I live can vote for a police levy or fire levy. They can't vote for a mental health levy. They can't vote for a library levy, not because they don't want to, but because they don't have the money to. Um, and Tim? you go back and you contrast that with my grandfather, who was a steel worker and made some good money, you know, was there 40 years. Uh, it was a union shop. His his rules of thumb for politics were you always vote for the police and fire levy and you always vote for the school levy. That's how you build a good community. But he was making good money, you know. And so now people can't vote for that stuff. So what we have to do. So I told you, how long do you have? What we have to do is we have to begin to shift this conversation. Now, the conversation shifted in 1929 when the economy collapsed. And uh, there was a new view that FDR came in and articulated for was talking about the economic royalists. And any of you who, who want to like get all geeked out on some political history i mean you listen to some of those older fdr speeches and they'll just they're they're so magnificent it's all poetry like no one's getting too much into the weeds on the details but he just framed it as there's the economic royalists they hate me they hate you we're peasants and you know we here's what we need to do and that began the conversation that went until the 1980s and it got a civil rights and went to the moon blah 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 so what Andrew and I are trying to do is to say, and we didn't know this at the time until, you know, Corona really hit, but how do we use this situation that has, you know, pulled the curtain back on all of these issues in our country to start the new conversation around the new country that we want? And how do we use this situation? It's all about demand side economics, whether you're talking about, you know, positions on consumer protection, you're talking about privacy, you're talking about UBI, you're talking about cash assistance and increasing the minimum wage, like any any of those iterations, that's all about how do we take care of healthcare, uh, how do we take care of our people? And, and how that's do we the find the criteria though to meet I'm sorry? these? How do you find the criteria to meet these needs though? Does that make sense? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. So, like, uh, we, we have all these needs, right? And we want to develop a healthy country. Like, um, what criteria and where can we find it in order to meet these needs, right? Like, so uh, the baseline health of a person, uh, you know, is that surviving and desperately trying to, you know, yeah, UBI brings it there. But, um, like, even education, I feel like we don't necessarily know the baselines of what is, necessary for a healthy society do we i mean we do but like how may other people find it too i don't know well i mean that's part of like us talking about it and changing the conversation so um you know we're just chatting it up here but there's all kinds of issues around adverse childhood experiences i don't know how much you guys know about this but if you look at the the most recent data on adverse childhood experiences going back decades, you can literally predict and an adverse childhood experience is a divorce, uh, a death in the family at a young age, um, some kind of domestic violence. Uh, it could be a variety of very traumatic experiences. And so what they've been able to figure out is that if you have one of these, the chances of you smoking or drinking or having an addiction or ending up in prison or jail goes up. You have two of them goes up even more. You get the four and the, the chances of you overdosing are dramatically increased. I don't have all the figures off the top of my head. So there are metrics out there and, and, but we don't have, and this is part of the conversation. Like we don't have a functioning education system 
that goes directly at dealing with adverse childhood experiences and, and trauma and dealing with the trauma that these kids have. So there are metrics that are now developing. Um, the Surgeon General in California was one of the leaders on this. Uh, she wrote a great book called The Deepest Well, and, and it articulates you know, some of these things. That's what I, when I'm talking about a modern government, I'm talking about that. We identify these childhood experiences, and then we build into the curriculum things like social and emotional learning and trauma-informed care, which basically goes right at the trauma. And until you heal the trauma, your brain can't function. And we know this because we've got decades now of fMRIs on our brains that show us how trauma locks us into a fight or flight response. And when you're locked in the fight or flight, you can't access your prefrontal cortex, which is where you have your working memory, uh, decision making, uh, a lot of attention span, all these cognitive function functions that you need to be able to learn can't function because you have trauma. And we've not identified the trauma. And just give you an example, I'm trying to get adverse childhood experience analysis done on everybody coming into the military. Because what we're finding out is people who come into the military who have these adverse childhood experiences and have this trauma, they're the ones who are much more susceptible to post-traumatic stress. They're coming into the military with these issues. So a modern thinking government, make America think again, right? A thinking government would say, okay, how do I identify these people so we could deal with their trauma so that they don't get post-traumatic stress and cost us, you know, millions of dollars in the VA system. Just one example. So anyway, there's ways to do that. And that's what this conversation is for. Uh, Tim, you were talking about ways to change the conversation. I have a perfect idea for you. Talk about corporate welfare. Talk about reverse socialism is what we have in this country because when the big corporations and wall street gambles with their own money they get welfare a subsidy is just welfare for corporations i mean like so so turn it on its head say then if if you republicans are against welfare and against socialism why is it okay with the well-to-do and well-connected that's great um, I'm all for it. I don't know if you saw my speech on the floor last week, but that's exactly what I talked about. Always, we always got money we for did. tax cuts, and we always got money for the for the rich. Uh, and we turn around and ask for you know state and local support, so we don't lay off teachers or you know unemployment insurance. All of a sudden, we don't have enough money. So I, I love that argument. You, they, they, um, they profit on the. The profits they gain from the profits and they socialize the losses the losses yeah so 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 what i don't understand so what do they say in return to that what what do they come back with that we're just socialists for rich and well connected like how can you co- i don't understand pretty much pretty much which is why these kind of common sense arguments i think can go a long way and capture certainly not going to capture you know the 35 percent of the you know extremes uh but I think it can capture the middle. I mean, you see that what this Lincoln project is doing now, like Dan's running as a Republican uh, that's not a Trump guy. I mean, this Lincoln project, I, I know those guys are my friends. Steve Schmidt's a buddy of mine. Um, and they're putting some great commercials together. So like, how do we build this coalition of like, I think there's a realignment happening. You know, we just got to, we've got to, we've got to capture it and talk sense, talk, which is why I love the math thing. I love the idea of like, you know, data matters, thinking matters, um, learning and growing and contributing in every way because you're bringing value that matters. And it doesn't mean you have to go to college. Like you need thinkers who are like have a education or in a union or you have a two year degree or whatever you're thinking and you're thinking about problems and you're trying to solve them. Um, and I think you've contributed in a yeah. way on that. Tim, this reason, I, was a, I was a young Jewish conservative who was campaigning up in Phil, uh, near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for Mitt right. Romney against Barack Obama. But even I can see just, just they went off the deep end and it's, it's and, and Romney is for those payments. So, but there, there's just a certain contingent that has got off the deep end. And like you said, to me, Ariel, this is like you started this with like 
Congressman Tim Ryan, why don't you talk about this? But there's people who will hear it from you and, and who won't hear it from Congressman Tim Ryan. So it's like, it takes all of us talking about building a country that works for everybody. Right. So you mind if I pick up on this point here? So uh, I feel like Congressman Ryan, like we really appreciate you uh, talking with us. And we feel that you definitely have a lot of power in pushing this conversation nationally because you put out that tweet saying that you would invite Andrew Mm -hmm. Yang to speak on UBI. Uh, when Congress is having hearings again. And and Angelo just talked about how uh, he and I have been working on assembling a panel since since March, because um, I happen to have a connection with uh, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal's chief of staff. And I was like moving down to LA and I was literally like typing out a response like while I was about to go on the plane. But um, because it was so urgent, like coronavirus was like, you know, happening and things were shutting down. So uh, we felt this urgency that uh, things were things were getting bad. And it felt like Congress need to act quickly, but they also need to act with good information. So what's happening right now is that there's a lot of discussion happening in the public sphere, but it's kind of like a very undirected. And uh, so Angelo and I were talking about having a panel of experts, like people like Scott Santins, economists, uh, Andrew Yang, and, uh, and most importantly, everyday people who represent a wide swath of America, like in different economic backgrounds, different political backgrounds, different situations, especially people who um, are relying on the safety net or are slipping through the cracks. So we wanted to uh, not only testify in front of Congress to give him the correct information and give uh, the representatives a chance to uh, respond and also process the information, but also make an appeal to the American people. We want everybody in America to see one of the panelists and say, oh, hey, that speaks to my experience. Oh, I can see how UBI can help me. So it's a very uh, public discussion that we'd like to start. And so uh, Angela and I have uh, prepared like a program with some speakers here, like Faye Koo and Scott Santins. Uh, and so basically, will you give us an invite to Congress to testify? Sure. Come on down. <laughs> put my email in the comments yeah thank you sir. yeah absolutely absolutely well this this is the whole thing and the, the the reason i invited andrew to come down this is a big conversation you know there there's no magic wand about this i mean the, this no one's had to deal with this stuff like we have to now um the technological advances, uh, AI and these, I mean, you, you all know it better than I do. I mean, it's just, it's real, it's deep, it's structural, and it's going to take all of us thinking about, about it and trying to do it in a, in a mature, thoughtful, strategic way. You know, I mean, like I just, I get frustrated sometimes with uh, certain, you know, aspects of, of our political system. It's like, we, you got to think about, how people are going to hear it when they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like they just hear something and they catch it. And there's a lot of low information voters who are out working and they just hear something like that sounds odd to me. And, and so it's our job to like walk them through why this makes sense and we'll help them. And then they become part of the coalition and that takes time and thoughtfulness and, um, persistence uh in grit because it's going to take time and that's you know bringing people to have this conversation i'm all in i'll do whatever i can to help you um begin to have this conversation right thank you so much congressman of course. So i yep. put my email in the yep. thank you <laughs> okay dennis on my team much. is thank on the call much. so we'll make we'll make sure we we get it to my team Thank you. So, yeah. And I actually want to introduce uh, David Kim, who joined the call a little while ago. David Kim is uh, running for Congress in um, LA's 34th district. All right. Hey, David. Hi. Uh, hi. How are you? How are you, everyone? Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for talking. Um, I very much enjoyed uh, the rest of the, the discussion that was just had. Um, I know that I entered in, in the middle of it. And, and um, I was actually reminded of your trauma based care kind of policy initiatives and pushes. I know that you had talked about it during your presidential campaign. 
And I know I'm going to digress a little from UBI, but I guess my, my question, when you were talking about that earlier, my whole body got electrocuted because I was just so excited just hearing you talk about that because a lot of us, even as adults, we operate in the sympathetic state where we're still in the fright and flight mode, where we're still making decisions like that because none of our childhood trauma has been taken care of at all without ourselves even knowing. And so, and that's something that also I think requires kind of persistence, education and promotion and awareness of that. But what could be done in terms of bringing that trauma-based care into our community? here locally in LA where you live. I know that you were um, campaigning, you had talked about having a mental health counselor in every high school, which I'm all for. Um, and I'll support you on that one once I'm in next year. All right. But, but, but yes, what are, what are some other ways that those could be brought into our communities? And um, just like with the implementation with the military and how they have the adverse child um, assessment, how can we do that for our people as well? Yeah, appreciate that, man. Uh, same same kind of thing. I mean, I, you start in the schools, social and emotional learning in the schools, trauma-informed care in the schools. The really good social and emotional. Here, here's the other, like, you know, make America think again. When you have a robust social and emotional learning program in your school district, they did a meta-analysis of 300,000 uh, kids, 11 percentile point increase in test scores, which closes the achievement gap because you get the kids out of the fight or flight mode and then their brain starts functioning properly. We got to add food into that too. Diet is going to be a part of that. Uh, I think long-term too. So you start in the schools, the really good social and emotional learning programs start with the teacher. And so the teachers heal and the teachers learn how to be, and then they model that. So 75 to 80% of what kids learn is comes through modeling shocker right but that's uh we, we all already know that so you teach the teachers they model it for the kids the really good programs also have a parental component which is really really powerful to just take time out of a very busy life as a parent and have an hour or two uh you know every month or two to just reflect on how you're modeling how you're talking i've seen i've seen the comments in some of these programs to hear parents say things like, I didn't realize how angry I was. And I didn't, re I don't, I'm, I'm so regretful for that. I, I throw that onto my kid. Like that in and of itself is a monumental, like leap um, for, for a parent. So you got the kids, you got the teachers, then you have the parents. Now we're also trying to get some of these practices into, I have a bill that, that does deep training with police it's one of the only bills in Congress that has the support of both the FOP and the NAACP okay. because it's about police training and cognitive bias and it gets into the trauma piece. So then you got the police, you got the teachers, you got the parents, uh, and we're doing it, it as much as we can in the military with veterans. So you can begin to see how I just want this thing to just really permeate the culture uh, in, in a way. And uh, the most recent thing, and the last thing I'll say here, there are other examples. There's a program called Centering Parenting and Centering Pregnancy. And I was just on the phone with Rosa Delora, who's the chair of the Labor, Health and Education Appropriation Subcommittee. I want to get some money into the a bill to support this uh, centering pregnancy. And what you do is you have 11 or 12 pregnant moms you can do this through the Medicaid program. You can do this in, in public housing. And they sit with a doctor or a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and they meet once a week. And you begin to co basically coach them through their pregnancy using techniques that will reduce stress, talk about diet, talk about nutrition, talk about emotional well-being. Um, but it's a targeted investment and most of these people will be on, on Medicaid. So we could run it through the Medicaid program and you basically teach them to deal with their trauma before they bring a, a baby into the world. So these are, this is what I'm talking about. These are like, these things work. They're just not scaled up yet. They're happening here or there around the country. And, and the, we, us, you and me, we've got to throw gasoline and kerosene or jet fuel or whatever on these programs 
take what's working, scale it up. If it's not working, cut those programs, get rid of them. We don't need a 1950 program that's been on the books. It's not working. I mean, I'm a Democrat and a progressive, but like that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm not going to Tim, I'll ask you what I asked Scott a little bit ago. And I'll ask you a follow-up because you are actually a congressman. Um, Do you support Andrew Yang's American scorecard? I'm sorry. I don't know what that is. It is essentially measuring our entire national economy through a different viewpoint than GDP and using that as the government's way of judging the economic landscape instead of GDP, unemployment, Mm -hmm. and general stock market. So it's it's actually based on something like the gross domestic, um, it's the gross national happiness that is being used by Bhutan. Yes. Yeah. I'm very familiar with uh, Bhutan and their in the gross domestic happiness. Love it. Uh, I want to read it before I make any like public commitment to it, but that's (laughs) right up my alley. I, you know, I, I, I've been trying to say this in the last, I guess, month, six weeks. If you want to know, the, the problem in America, okay? Probably the biggest problem in America. We had 40 million people file for unemployment. Our economy is ravaged, right? 40% of small businesses are probably going to go under. One in five kids is hungry. And the stock market had its best month since the Great Depression. Now, if that doesn't tell you that this system is fucked, I don't know what is. Because need you. That, yeah. that, that is unreal, that those would happen simultaneously uh, in America. To me, that's do, a that is obnoxious. So do you know I would about, love, to, uh, I would love s- to see that. So send it my way. We bring that up every show. Every Steve show Ballmer's. we bring that up. With the, the 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 problem is that the actual economy is disconnected from the stock market. Totally. Tim Ryan, please, please, please bring that message to Congress until they believe it in their hearts and in their heads, and until it comes out of their mouths and out of their fingertips. I just want to get this done. That yeah, how we got to do it. So I'm so glad we got there. Uh, please continue, Sheridan. Sorry for cutting you off. Just you, really quick, it's it's like we we never see you at the debates talking about this stuff. That's so interesting, but it's like you don't get these kind of questions. Go ahead, Sheridan. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> well, I think I got <laughs> seven you. minutes in the first debate. So like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's well, about five uh, minutes more than Yang. Steve Ballmer. Uh, created usafacts.org and I recommend you check that out. It's a great synopsis of what Andrew Yang would like to see our government present in essentially a PowerPoint deck at the State of the Union every year and have that What is it? USA what? usafacts.org. It was created by Steve Ballmer or his uh, wife, I believe. Stop. It was usafacts.org. Oh, facts. Gotcha. Let's put that in the chat for him. Tim, Tim, can I ask you uh, just a couple of questions real fast about how sure. these how these things work on the inside? So when when you're on the floor of the house and you're uh, railing passionately about funds needing to go to the people, and then you get the pushback that uh, you know your time to negotiate was previously and. You know, so it, it's very partisan as far as how these things are are coming down. What do voters need to know about how candidates are financed, how this plays out in federal politics? Um, how, how do we change this system from somebody on the inside? What do you see are like the biggest negatives and what are why do we need to do it? And then how a little bit? Yeah, that's a biggie. Um, you know, clearly. There are a lot of very powerful, wealthy, global interests that that want to keep the American system the way it is, you know, e.g. the stock market <laughs> we've just talked about. Um, and and so but now it's now it's flipping into the politics. So they have the presidency, they have the Senate, you know, what what issues can they pick now to try to shift the coronavirus from being a negative to a not necessarily a positive, but how do they hurt Biden, keep things divided, do all of these things. That's the goal now. Um, And, and meanwhile, you know, the inspector general piece, a rollback of a lot of these different regulations, 
um, are, are continuing to happen. But the main crux is how do we hold on to power in November so that we can keep this whole thing going the way it's going, which is good for them. <laughs> um, so people are acting in very, very, you know, political ways. I mean, I think in 1960, if this was happening, you know, you would have Republicans and Democrats sending money to state and local governments, extending the PPP program, doing cash assistance. It would have just been like, what are the, what, what are the economics here, right? Nixon and Kennedy both served in the war. There wasn't a whole lot of difference between them. What are the economics? They were both Keynesian demand side, you know, what's, what's the data tell us? And boom, I think we would have moved forward on it, but now it's, it's very political. So we've got to, we've got to dislodge them from power. I mean, I, there's no other way to do it. They've got to get dislodged and, uh, and the money is a big issue. You know, there's a lot of money on all sides now. I mean, Democrats are going to have a lot of money. It's like, everyone's got money now. We got enough to supply both sides, but um, it, it does have a very corrupting influence. There's no doubt about it. I don't know if that completely answers your question or not, but. It, it, it does. Um, do, do you think that it's intentional that these pieces of legislation end up, you know, at a thousand pages, you know, that do you think that we're intentionally being obscured from what's actually happening with the funds? Um, so like, what do you mean? Like just the CARES Act and, for example, the first uh, $2 trillion, I think it was like 950 pages. Like, yeah. is, is, there a, is there a reason why we can't be more transparent? Are we intentionally being um, kind of uh, obstructed from having an easy view of, of what our representatives are doing from a, 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 uh, a legislation standpoint? Well... I mean, we're, we're in an emergency situation and, and really the most important thing in something like this is getting money out the door and into the economy to stabilize. And there's going to be some waste and there's going to be some, pro I mean, the, the states couldn't even handle the amount of money that was coming at them through the unemployment system. They couldn't get it processed. I mean, we still have people in Ohio here who still haven't gotten their check, um, and the, the, even the one-time payment checks, many people haven't gotten those. Um, and so, you know, I'm not here to defend like the indefensible and things always slip in these things, uh, you know, that, that come from certain areas. Um, sorry, it's my wife coming home. Um, and so um, that, that, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just going to happen. You're putting $2 trillion through a, through a garden hose. Um, and so there's going to be problems with that. I don't think there was, I know on our side, there wasn't anything nefarious or something that we were trying to do that we weren't willing to talk about because we were, you know, in a lot of ways proud of what we were doing because we were getting all kinds of resistance from the other side. And you're seeing that happen now. Um, there's just certain pots of money. So there's not, you know, there's, there's, they slid in the, uh, the, the tax cut, you know, uh, for real estate people, you know, that's just like, and I'm sure they're like, that's going in or we're not passing it. And like, we don't have complete control. They have two thirds of the negotiating teams, right. The presidency and the Senate. And uh, I think, you know, Nancy has done a really good job of getting for the most part, a lot of the things that we need. And you're going to have to sacrifice until you have, you know, until you have all the power. But um, again, it's it's complicated because it's so much money so fast. Well, finishing up my two part question, how would you implement something like the American scorecard or your trauma measurements into the tax code to incentivize businesses to follow these measurements? I like the idea of um, these uh, B corporations um, where you are, you know, you're not taking the corporate tax rate from, you know, 35% to 21% for all corporations. You build in metrics um, that, you know, we can certainly all figure out. But if you put money in the, your workers' pensions, if you pay them a livable wage, if you are concerned about the environment, you know, if you're meeting these metrics that we all determine are, you know, non-economic, 
important part of the social compact uh, that we have, um, you know, then you will see a reduction in your corporate tax rate. I think that's a that's a new way of thinking. That's a modern way of running the tax code. And it's it's not all government taking over all the pensions doing this. No, we'll reward you if you make sure that your people when they retire or, you know, you have a, a 401k that you can take with you that follows you around, uh, you know, to, to the different jobs that you may have. But as those companies put money into that 401k for you, they get they get some tax benefits for it. I, I think that is one way, you know, we decide what the metrics are. And if you meet those metrics, you consistently see a reduction in your corporate tax rate. Thank you. I believe Jeremy has a question now for a moto. Oh, um, uh, Congressman, you mentioned earlier that you weren't like completely on board with the idea of UBI. And obviously, like. The more immediate problem is the uh, the cash payments for uh, the crisis. But I was curious, being a, a congressman from a, a very kind of old school manufacturing economy um, in Ohio and uh, having strong labor uh, union history, do you see there being uh, kind of a, a conflict between a, a UBI type uh, system and uh the traditional labor uh, advocacy? Do you see uh, those forces ever aligning or is there a lot to be resolved? I, I don't uh, see a huge conflict. I mean, I, I'm part of, part of my process here is really uh, trying to better understand, you know, what it means, how it's UBI, how, what it means, how it's funded, what are the, you know, uh, unintended consequences of it. Uh, I'm, I'm learning. So I, but I, I don't see any conflict, uh, in why, you know, people who are at the center of working class issues and lifting standards of living and that, uh, I don't see how there would be a conflict there, but I don't know. Again, I'm still trying to, trying to figure it out. Um, I also think this is an opportunity for unions to reach out to a lot of these different groups that are, you know, hurt these, uh, you know, the cashiers and the other people that, that we talked about that are just completely, you know, taken advantage of. I mean, you know, how do we, how do we lift up these standards of living? I mean, it's not a coincidence that the, this long-term plan and Koch brothers and all, all of this stuff, Mercer family, what's the number one thing they're trying to do? Break the unions, you know, like why? Because when people come together in a union, they're black and white and brown and gay and straight, and they are focused on the economic interests, and it's a counterbalance to their what's happening. I mean, if unions were 30% today, like they were in 1950, the political clout to be able to level the playing field and do the kind of things that we're talking about, I think would be, we'd be able to tip the scales. But, you know, we've lost you know, we've lost connection to a lot of those workers. So I, I think it's a perfect fit myself, but I don't, you know, I, I don't see any hurdles there. I just want to uh, add on to that a, a bit and just point out that that um, the labor union, the labor movement, uh, to use one of their metaphors, this was, you know, years ago, they were talking about how uh, a, a union, you know, a, a lone worker is a stick and a union is a bundle of sticks. And so once that bundles together, you know, you can't break that bundle of sticks like you could an individual stick. You know, so that's the bargaining power that's through collective bargaining. The thing about basic income is it provides every individual the power to say no, which is effectively bargaining power as an individual. So it's almost like a, a steel rod and a bundle of steel rods as far as the union goes. So it enables people the power of a union on their own. But then, of course, a union full of people with basic income also means a much more powerful um, you know, union. It means unlimited strike power. It means not having to worry about those funds. You can strike for as long as you can because it's, it's an unlimited strike fund. So I hope that the labor movement catches on and understands that there is a lot of power for the movement through basic income and that they can understand that that, that is very complementary. And um, just a question quick for, for you, Tim, is I'm interested in the strategy. So I would like to know, is there someone that you think, someone in the Republican side of Congress, that we could somehow, as the Yang gang, 
um, try to nudge over into supporting your bill to be the first Republican to sign on to the Emergency Money for People Act? Like, is there someone we could apply pressure to that you think might actually um, agree to it if they just got enough pressure to to do it? Uh, I got to give that some thought. Um... Well, I if you give think that of somebody, spot. we will pressure we, them. So just let we us can know. also take that. Uh, we can take the answer to that question offline. Uh, get you into contact with Scott later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, let me give that some thought. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a smart move to. You know, you already have a candidate running for Senate uh, that that's embracing it, and you probably have other candidates uh, around. I mean, you're going to have to get somebody who's uh, got some nerve. Like Justin Amash expressed support for recurring cash payments. And of course, but he's a former Republican having left the yeah. party. So it's like you have the pariahs, you know, like your Mitt Romney's and Justin Amash's who will step out and support it. But we need mm-hmm. someone who is considered to be part of the party and be like, hey, no, seriously, guys, we need people to have money. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good idea. It's got to be nonpartisan. You know, it's got to yeah. be the poor against the people who want to keep them poor, not the Republicans versus the Democrats. It's the only way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that, and I and I think you know it, the argument to me is against the quote unquote welfare state, right? I mean, this is about we want the value of work, we want people working, but we also want people you know making a making a, a living where they don't have to rely on the social safety net. I did a really interesting program in Summit County, which is Akron, Ohio really innovative county full of like really great ideas. But anyway, that's this program for leaders called uh, bridges out of poverty. And, and so I spent the day and I went through the program and the most interesting part of the whole program was when you learn that um, if somebody is making $11 an hour, they qualify in Ohio for all kinds of benefits, um, you know, transportation, child care, this, that, uh, you know, variety of support so that you could go to work. And then you work hard and you go and you become maybe an assistant manager or something. Mm-hmm. And you go from 11 bucks an hour to twelve fifty an hour. Yeah. You lose all your benefits. Yeah. You fall off the welfare cliff. You fall. Yeah. So the whole idea is how do we restructure this thing to say either the benefits taper off, you know, you would literally, that worker in Ohio anyway, would have to make $22 an hour to get, you know, to, to account for all of the benefits that they, that they get. So again, I, I think the argument it's a simple solution. is, yeah. <laughs> is something like, how do we give them cash and help them get through this thing so that they stay working? Because if not, if you're a single mom with a couple of kids and you're having trouble making ends meet, uh, then, then you may say, well, let's, look, I got to feed my kids. I got to do this, Y, and i I'm going to make a business decision here. And the best business decision is to not work, which is not what we want, right? Yeah. So yeah, that, if, you're, if you're arguing the Republicans, I think yeah. that's, that's the most effective way to talk well, about well, it. Well, yeah. Tim, doesn't it mean like most, if, if people have more money in their pockets and they're spending that money, that creates the demands for the jobs to be there. Let me tell you something, Tim. I was working at Best Buy as a seasonal worker. We all know what Best Buy is. And then I was told that because there's less customer traffic, I can't keep my job after the season. Now, why is that? Because people were spending less money. So when you give this money to people and they spend more of it, people get to keep their jobs and it's pro worker. I don't know what's wrong, what, why they can't get it through their thick, empty heads. Sorry, I, I just get frustrated. It's just so much classification <laughs> on top of everything. Uh, in some states, four fifths of welfare applicants are rejected overall. And in most states, it's always a majority as far as I, I, I know. Yeah. Um, so I, it doesn't even work. It doesn't even serve the people who need it the most. The, the, the 13 million people who are living in, in destitution with no support from the government whatsoever, American citizens in abject poverty in this nation in 2020. It yeah. means testing has got to end. We need to move to a basic income. I'd actually like to hop testing. in on this as uh, both a former SSI recipient and a small business owner and entrepreneur. Um, on SSI, the maximum you can get is $735 to survive on for a whole month. And if you attempt to try and work or better your situation, you lose all of it, one fell swoop. So 
I had to make the hard decision, you know, do I keep the benefits I have and just live a life of existence? Or do I actually put my energies into something I'm passionate about and care about, but understand that, you know, I'm risking giving up everything. And for me, I decided that, you know, I was a former musician and I decided to go in and start a business as a concert promoter because I was seeing a lot of, um, a lot of talent getting ripped off by uh, local promoters that weren't, you know, they would either uh, have talent pay, uh, doing shows for free or they were, you know, undercutting them. There was a lot of stuff going on. So I decided I could offer my skills to the market and I struggled. I had to work, uh, you know, two jobs in some cases to be able to just have the basic income just to file the paperwork and everything. And once I got my business almost off the ground, because if you're a startup, you do not get access to any kind of bank loan. Uh, the only thing they'll give you is a line of credit based on your current job, which didn't offer me enough credit to even be able to hire a single member of staff. So I basically just had to take the majority of my income, reduce my uh, food intake and everything else that I could just condense down the amount of spending that I had, even on necessities, to be able to get this business built. And um, unfortunately, thanks to COVID-19, uh, the business is currently on indefinite suspension. But a lot of these programs are will penalize you for even attempting to start something. That's one area where universal basic income helps a lot in that it gives entrepreneurs like myself a chance to get started in a market where you can't get a bank loan or anything. You can actually put money aside and save up while you're working. And it also creates a market because there's a lot of people that would want to come to events that I'm doing or buy products that someone else is selling, but they just simply are trying to keep um, themselves above water where they're just meeting their basic needs. Once all their bills are paid, they have maybe a hundred dollars in their pocket and that's, you know, they're just praying that they don't have an emergency. To add on to Angelo's experience, it, 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 uh, continues into underserved areas as well. Um, areas that don't have enough opportunity or jobs to create the cash flow that would create the bank's uh, profit motive to actually go in there and be a money lender of significant value to get more small businesses started. It actually creates guaranteed markets. Well, something I was thinking about was uh, when I went to uh, Scott's lecture a while back, uh, he had mentioned how a statistic that wasn't actually analyzed or like when they did the um, follow up, uh, the the woman shelters cleared out or something like that. When uh, I would love you to talk a little bit about how like it gives that floor for people if you're willing. Oh, I, I can just mention again that so everyone else knows what you're talking about is that uh it was so the Ontario pilot, uh, the basic income pilot was was canceled. It was canceled on purely ideological reasons. There was no data yet, uh, but some of the uh, anecdotal data that was observed is that people who are who were working at the women's shelters found that um, you know, they noticeably observed that there were you know fewer women actually requiring the, the shelters um, because they were in an environment where. Um, it was kind of a saturation site where a lot of women actually had the you know basic income, and so yeah, it's it's um, it's a, it's something that really empowers women. Um, and in fact, that was actually one of the things that helped stop the the family assistance plan under Nixon back in the seventies was because there was a, a concern, especially among Republicans, that it would increase divorce rates that that women would actually start to leave their husbands. Yep, it's all connected. It's all um, connected. Um, I have to excuse myself, guys. Yeah. I have a uh, four o'clock, as you can tell, it's very timely, four o'clock yeah, uh, Facebook Live I do every day. Um, thank you for your time. Do do an update with uh, my constituents and talk a little bit about some of the stuff we're talking about now. And uh, I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Let's keep this conversation going. We'll follow up on the uh, stuff at Congress. Um, we're also working with you know, trying to get Andrew there too, whenever things get semi-normal. Um, but man, we're, we're into some good stuff here. I just want to let together. you know. Yeah. Yep. 
and uh, there's there's innovations happening everywhere, and and we've got to look at them. I'm going to look at the stuff uh, you sent me about the different metrics. Uh, love that stuff. So anyway, I love you guys. I love you too. Thank best. you again for coming. I uh, hope we'll tell you again soon. Yeah. Yeah, that's have a great by Congressman. Thank Tim you. Ryan. Yeah, have a great uh, have, have a, great a great holiday day. weekend, and uh, hope you get some some downtime. Enjoy the family. Take care. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for spending time with us. Yeah, Goodbye. You got it. I loved it. Let's do it fantastic. again. We anytime, yeah. anytime. We're anytime. at your service. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That was great, guys. Thank you all so much. Wonderful. Thanks for staying with us, uh, Scott. Yeah, yeah Scott. And thank you so much for tolerating, you know, the technical issues. Yeah, being, being a champ, being an I'll asset be the, to the cause, and a friend. Yeah, yeah. No, thank and you. Thanks for setting it up. Good job. Thanks for dropping in, David yeah. and and Daniel, um, who are both uh, running their own yeah. very very busy campaigns right now. Yeah. Right. I I think it's beautiful that all of your brilliant minds are mm-hmm. at least listening mm-hmm. to the same information. You know, like that we. We need a think tank uh, like this that exists where we have people who are acting uh, as voices for people who don't necessarily know the process, uh, you know, but also we can talk about things. We can learn what we can do on a personal level. Like, I think it's beautiful to have like so many brilliant minds all together. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of, I wish that we had gotten to some of the questions that were submitted by people who are not here today i don't know if scott has any time to answer any of those if if uh, i don't know it's up to you <laughs> um if you want to do it another time we can do it another time too yeah let's just schedule for a, a time and you know we can even get Got more it. questions we'll you know to be a part of it another yeah. time okay. soon in a few weeks well uh the person that asked the primary question is also on the gang gang goes to congress slack so if you'd like um you guys can uh discuss it in there i don't mind uh discussions going on in that room great thank you angela okay so we all say say goodbye. Right. See you later, everyone. Have a great day. Goodbye. It was nice. It was great. Hey, great meeting you. Hope to see you again. Nice yeah. Bye. Yeah. All right. Well, well. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And again, thank you guys for coming. Um, shall we just uh, should call it a night here? No. Good show, right. Thank you, everybody. I have food, so I'm going to uh, go and, eat and that. Especially, <laughs> just thank you, Shale and Jeremy, for just. You know, the technical stuff and getting these people in here, it really helps. Oh, hey, yeah. my pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. I'm, I'm really glad that it, uh, it went off. Yeah. We do what we can do.